Hi, this is Brett McCrossan, co-founder and CEO of Gripner, creators of The Glimmering, a tabletop role-playing game on the blockchain, delivering an empire of imagination that innovates in the player experience. I am on the edge of NFT, the podcast that brings the most innovative NFT projects to you. Stay tuned. Hey there, NFT curious listeners. Stay tuned for today's episode and find out how today's guest is taking tabletop games to the next level and using NFTs and Web3 technology to do it. Why today's guest has a passion to inspire others to share his passion to create. And find out if Bill Gates is still skeptical about NFTs or ready to dive in to the next wave of tech. All this and more on today's episode. Enjoy. Welcome to The Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. The podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Welcome to the Edge of NFT. Today's sponsored Spotlight episode features Brent McCrossin and The Glimmering the new 5e campaign and empire of imagination, which allows you to do epic shit. It is designed to preserve the magic of classic tabletop role-playing games while innovating the player experience. Brent is the CEO of Gripner, which was co-created with the support of Revelry Startup Studio, where he's managing director. Before building this adventurous company, Brent was the founder of AudioSocket and LidCore, two media tech firms that help musicians make a living by licensing their creative work in commercial media. Brent's love for tabletop role-playing games, supporting creative communities, and building world-class media businesses inspire him to bring Gripner's vision to life. Brent, welcome to Edge of NFT. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me out, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. And for our listeners at home, Brent and I, prior to this, were really dorking out on our similar taste in shirts. We learned that Brent is actually wearing a shirt that he personally stylized, which certainly indicates your creative spirit. And I think that's a nice segue into, you know, anyway, my fr- that's where the spotlight in our Zoom video here. So we can get a closer look at that stylized shirt. That's pretty dope, guys. Yeah, I love Paisley's uh, in the life. <laughs> It's not the only pattern that I like. I'm a big fan of it. And- I mean, unfortunately, I think you're going to get inundated with custom shirt design requests at this point, and you probably got other things you want to focus on. It, yeah, I have to say, <laughs> like, I, um, I, I have no time to design for the 22 season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the builders of Web3 aren't always focused on personal fashion. They're busy building, but nice to see that you've struck that balance. And let's kind of go deeper into the glimmering, which is really a gate to another plane, right? It's a place that's like dark and has terror and has some really fascinating vistas. Sounds pretty cool. Excited to dive in here. How did this idea come into being? Yeah. So my good buddy, Patrick Comer, been a friend of mine for 12 years. He's CEO of a company called Lucid. And he's been playing Dungeons and Dragons since he was a little kid and he never stopped playing. And he not only is a player, but he's also a dungeon master, a game master, as we call him, which is somebody who leads the gameplay. And I've played off and on throughout my entire life because I had an older brother who played it and I wanted to follow in his footsteps. 
And in November of last year, maybe September, Patrick called me and he's like, hey, I've got an idea. I want to run it by your startup studio, which I thought was interesting because he was running a very large, successful multinational startup, right? It had offices around the globe. I figured he was either extremely bored running that company or he was about to have an exit. I didn't know why. We took the meeting and he brought us this idea. You know, His brother is really big into uh, DeFi crypto. He's got a fund out of New York called XPTO. They're very competitive, although they love each other. They're extremely competitive. He's like, my brother's having way too much fun and making way too much money in this crypto stuff. I realized he wasn't looking at NFTs. If I was going to get any alpha, I'd have to start there, right? So we dove into it and he found the Loot for Adventurers project, right? Which is a black background with white text listing items that you would come across in a tabletop role-playing game like D&D. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that really took the community by storm at some point last year. And then they came out with like additional packs and all sorts of fun stuff. Yeah, the community's building on top of it, right? So what he noticed is there was, at least at the onset, there was no gameplay in the Loot project. But what made it what dawned upon them was that tabletop role-playing games are the perfect use case for blockchain because you're rolling dice, the dice outcomes are data. Those data points get put into a character sheet that creates your character, and the dice rolls also inform the outcomes of the gameplay itself. So we agreed to look at it from a startup studio lens, run our validation process, and we quickly came to the conclusion that it was a really strong business idea. And it fit all of our personal interests. So that concept of founder opportunity fit where what you're good at, what you love and what the world actually needs, like that intersection is what we call founder opportunity fit. And we decided we wanted to support it. And Patrick said, great, I want you to be CEO of it. So I kind of got tricked into it delightfully because I get to build one of my best friends. And then shortly after we agreed to start this thing, he went and sold Lucid for $1.1 billion. So I figured out exactly why he was noodling on this idea was because he was knowing, he knew that he was going to have an opportunity to do something next. And he was using the ideation process on Gripner as a way to kind of de-stress himself as he managed the conclusion of that transaction of his company. So that's how the idea came to be. And then from there, the team has just exploded. We can get into that whenever y'all want, but... That's really exciting. And I love the kind of spirit you exude of bringing imagination to life, right? From us talking about your shirt and how you kind of envision something that you wanted to kind of bring this idea to life. It's really exciting. We love these kind of people. So in addition to the core, we hear that you plan to launch an NFT Genesis collection to be used in gameplay. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So the collection itself, as well as the gameplay, uh, they're two critical and inseparable pieces. So what tabletop role-playing games are effectively is storytelling, right? And the stories are, are told and led and lived by the player characters. And in the world of the Glimmering, there are eight ancestries, right? What we call races as ancestries across 12 classes, so what that means is that there's an inordinate amount of artwork. It's not a single image that has a lot of different color variants or maybe smiles and expressions. It's literally 96 different types of possible characters, like an orc wizard, you know, versus an orc fighter or a human, whatever class you want to reference next. So we knew there was going to be a ton of artwork. We knew there was going to be a lot of tricks and puzzles. And we had uh, Kyle, who's our creative director, he was in charge of finding us the right artist. And he had worked with an artist called Angry Blue, who had done the Assassin's Creed stuff with Rob Zombie, the video game, and all that trailer. And we brought in Justin, and he was a great fit. His work is hanging in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. 
he's exceptional. But within the first 48 hours of him working on the project, he said, there's no way that I can do this alone. It's just too much artwork to illustrate. And then you got to color it. So very quickly, the art team became six people, three of them kind of like contract basis as we needed to scale up production. And then three that were just the core art team, Angry Blue being the lead illustrator, Dan, who goes by Omnigraphicon, being kind of his second in command. And our lead colorist is a guy named John Rauch, who's been credited on every Marvel and DC comic that's come out in the last 10 years. So the Gripner's first game world is called The Glimmering, and all of these characters you know, interact within that tabletop role-playing game. And then for the game itself, I'm a huge D&D fan. Patrick's been playing all of his life, but none of us have built tabletop role-playing worlds ever. And we knew we needed somebody good. I have a friend who's a tabletop game designer. So I called him in part of the validation process, first hoping that he would tell me that I was crazy and I should stop doing this and go spend time elsewhere. And he didn't. He's like, this is a brilliant idea. It's a perfectly natural fit. You definitely got to do it. You definitely need a great game designer. And I'm not the best. I'm going to get you the best. So he introduced me to a guy named Stephen Radney McFarland. And Stephen's been designing games for Dungeons and Dragons and Paizo and others for over 22 years. We met with him. He had a lot of open questions. Had seen some good and some bad commentary around NFTs and the blockchain itself. And he wanted to make sure he was working with the right people. And we spent a number of weeks getting to know each other. And pretty quickly, he realized that back when he was doing organized gameplay for D&D, there was this process where you would play an organized session at a convention and you would have this sheet of paper that the dungeon master would sign. You'd get a stamp on it. But then if it didn't get put into you into a database somewhere, you try to bring that certificate to another game store and you couldn't play your character. So he saw clearly that our use case for tabletops on the blockchain solved a lot of the challenges with organized play campaigns globally. So the artwork and the story go together. And honestly, the folks who are both building the game world and designing the art are the most talented I've ever worked with in my career. That's great. And I mean, it's, I love the moment where you like pitch the idea and you don't expect a great response necessarily. And then somebody says that they love it, right? It's kind of, it's like, it's exciting, but it's like, oh, I got to do this now, right? <laughs> I got to take this step into the unknown, which is, it's a fun moment in the creative process. Yeah. I mean, the startup studio, we try to kill confirmation bias aggressively, right? Because we want to build the right thing first and not create a bunch of waste, especially economic waste. So I'm looking for reasons to kill an idea more than I am to try to convince myself I'm right about something. But when folks like Steven and my buddy Loki, who introduced us, you know, who are literally been in this industry for decades, like, wow, this is exactly the right use case and the right approach. And you can't walk away from those kind of signals. And since we also loved it, it made it even easier to say, let's go. Cool. I'll ch quick shout out before you jump in here, Josh. Shout out to a friend, Rob Fitzpatrick, who wrote a book called the mom test. And it's just kind of about that very thing, like the 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 process of making sure that following ideas, just because people say they're excited, like you got to really get the test in and make sure people are going to get into it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're all lean startup guys, Brent. And that's how, you know, Jeff and I started our previous prepared meal company is now national. And it starts with just customer discovery and in seeing what's possible here. When we started this podcast, it was an experiment and you know it was the traction that we got before we leaned in that sort of encouraged us on our journey here and it's cool that you're able to sort of drink your own medicine if you will in terms of how you work with startups 
And let's dive in a little bit deeper into some of the mechanics. We've got this concept, Roll to Mint. What is that and how do people participate in it? Yeah, thanks for asking. So really, we stole that idea from another friend of ours named Kevin Lynn. Kevin was the founder of Twitch. He's a New Orleans guy. And he is creating a new NFT game project called Dustbreakers. And they were way ahead of us many months before we started even looking at this. They were already building. And when Dustbreakers came out with an idea, it was play to mint. So rather than just opening up the NFT mint to anybody, maybe they care about the project, maybe they don't. He really wanted to kind of build in early a community of folks who fundamentally believed in what he was trying to do and prove that they cared about it and would be be around for the long term. Right, not just looking for a quick flip. So he created Roll uh, to Play to Mint, and Play to Mint they created a really quick but still beautiful video game that was browser based, and you could go and you could play in some of their animated worlds within Dust Breakers and kill the bad guys and get points. And based on your rack, your ranking, you would get on the whitelist. Right. So given we're a tabletop game, we just wanted to kind of steal from that playbook. And Roll to Mint is like really a concept where you're just interacting with the community and demonstrating that it's something you believe in, that you care about, you want to learn more about and participate in. Because these things, again, it's all storytelling and it's collaborative storytelling. And it's important to us to leave with those first principles. So it's not very complicated to do. It's about interacting with us on Discord. We've created what's called a one-shot campaign, which is like a short film of D&D. It's like a two-hour play session instead of the typical four to five. You can come play those games with us in Discord and just you know sharing and talking about the project and proving that you're interested and want to be a part of the community. And then you've successfully rolled to Mint. Very cool. We got to get you in our Discord too and introduce our community to yours. Oh, I'd love um, that. Really fun. Let's do it. We'll make sure you get, it, get an invite there and you can be a, get our special podcast guest status, local celebrity status. So utility is just like a really big part of the conversation in NFTs these days. We see it left and right. And I know you guys are considering that pretty strongly. Like, What are the benefits that you're bringing to the community along with the uh, NFTs? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the kind of founding like purposes of the business is to add value to both the game masters, the game designers, and the, the artists and the players, candidly, that have made tabletop role-playing games what they've become over the last 50 years, right? And we see a number of those constituents being underserved economically. And what Grimner is doing, granted, the, our first game world is the glimmering, but that's not where we end, right? Grimner's greatest ambition as a company is to become an industry standard protocol for all tabletop role-playing games that want to be on chain. And we'll use our treasury to finance the best and the brightest game designers to build their games on our protocol. And all of the collectors that are in the Genesis collection, they get first access to every single project that is built on top of the protocol. So that's utility number one. In the future, when we roll out the glimmering game masters, again, the ones who, who run the games, as well as others, collectors in general, will be able to mint areas of the world. And when gameplay happens within those areas of the world, the glimmering and rewards are paid out, either loot bags or additional NFTs or tokens, because we are going to be launching a token when we launch Play on Chain, then the people who own those areas of the world will also be able to participate in the upside of having help financed some of those games that are getting built, right? And then beyond that, it's not just this initial collection. After we drop the NFT player characters for those who hang around and stake them, there's going to be additional rewards in airdropping NFTs that are related not only to their player character, but other areas of the world. So it's access to every future project built in our protocol. It's access to additional 
NFT airdrops that we're going to do for the glimmering NFT player characters and in access to minting sections of the world and in the token that we launched when we released Play on Chain. Yeah. I'm looking at an article right now. I had heard something similar, but I Googled it. So just Google it. So I think it's pretty accurate though. Latest data show, and this is from 2021, that intangible assets comprise 90% of the value of S&P 500 companies, right? So the fact that you're doing something like mint, like land in the gameplay space as a way to give back to the community, it's a big deal, right? You're sharing that digital asset that you have with the community in a really powerful way. I, I really like that model. Yeah, thanks. We think so as well. And again, the game design, game masters spend hours preparing for a game and they spend hours running a game. And we believe that they should be able to receive fair remuneration for that. A lot of game designers are extremely underpaid in our experiences and they're unrepresented. D&D's got a, a bit of a reputation historically for being mostly a white dude's game. It's changed dramatically in the last couple of decades but we're not seeing that type of diversity reflected in the game designer element. And one of our ambitions is to make sure we're reaching out to the talent and unrepresented communities and giving them a shot and giving them the money to go build whatever games they want to build on top of our protocol. If they're doing great work, we want to support them. Very cool. So we met the a lot of the Polygon team actually a while back, connected them for the first time face-to-face at NFT New York. And they have been doing a lot in this space, and it's exciting to hear that you announced a partnership with Polygon Studios. I'd love to sort of give people a little bit of a peek behind the curtain in terms of how that partnership came about, why you chose Polygon, and what the sort of nuances are of having a partnership with one of these big EVM compatible solutions. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to give full credit to my CTO, Luke uh, Lede, right? in a lot of that decision-making, but it was a brilliant decision. It was certainly the right one. So when we looked at different blockchain options for the company, we had to take into account that when you play Gripner games, game outcomes are recorded back to your character on the blockchain. So not only is all the player stats on chain, there's like a ton of data associated with the NFT that's actually on the blockchain, not just the picture, right? But then when you play the game, those outcomes re-record new data back to your NFT. And if we did that on Ethereum, right, especially even today, the cost of that would be so prohibitive that pretty much no one could afford to actually play the game. So we needed a more scalable blockchain solution that was going to enable gameplay without driving exorbitant gas fees. And there was a couple of options that we could have gone with, but there was another driving force that brought Polygon to the forefront for Luke. The second element is we want to prove fair mint to our community. Like not even me as the founder and CEO is going to have an opportunity to grab more rare NFTs than just the general community at large. And we wanted to implement Chainlink's verifiable randomness function so we could prove, and anybody could prove, it's just right there on the chain, that when an NFT is minted, all of the data that's getting input into that NFT character is completely random and nobody has the ability to snipe for rare traits. And at the time, I think Solana implemented that a couple of weeks ago, but we knew we wanted it in December when we really started building the tech. So those were two of the things that informed our approach to Polygon. And when we made the decision to do it, Luke took the leadership, as I would expect of a CTO of his caliber, to let the Polygon folks know exactly what we're building. And they're like, holy cow, wait, you're taking tabletop games and putting them in the blockchain and who's behind this? Holy shit. Like, wow, how can we help support you? What can we do? 
And since then, like they've really started to back the project. And it, I think time has proven that it was a good decision because so many new Web3 games are being built on Polygon, not Polygon alone. But man, they're getting a lot of momentum and a lot of attention and they're raising a lot of money. I think Alex from Reddit put in a couple hundred million to their game studio and they've been really supportive and worked the earlier stages. I think as we get closer and closer to rollout, you'll see more and more announcements between Gripner and uh, Polygon Studio. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty clear they also really try hard to support the projects that come in to their community, which a lot of different blockchain projects are doing these days. But I think they're a little bit of the model behind that, right? They were kind of one of the first really be supportive of the community that's utilizing Polygon. So good partners to have. Any other partnerships or kind of collaborations or projects that are in the pipeline for the future that you can talk about or imagine? In what's coming? So, I mean, the Chainlink thing is, is certainly a partnership as well. They've been extremely supportive of the project. That one's already been announced. In addition, there's collaborations that we're just starting to build up now. We did one with Dustbreakers, as you might imagine, since Kevin is a friend of the companies. And there's another group that I came across recently. They actually connected with us. I deeply admire what they're trying to do. They're called the Fair Play Collective. And what they're attempting to do is essentially become like this consortium, if you will, of play-to-earn games. And the intention is for that organization and community to drive P2E business models that are actually resilient in the work. I mean, not to discredit what Axie did. We got actually quite the opposite, give them a lot of credit. But you're, we're all seeing that some of the general economics of those games were not sustainable whatsoever. And the Fair Play Collective is trying to coordinate and collaborate with some of the best and the brightest P2E platform and games that are being built out there to you know, not only lift each other up, but also to really hold each other accountable to building extremely reliable systems of gameplay. And working not only with them, but with the other projects that are in that collective has been really beneficial. And then there's another group called Adult Fantasy, which probably sounds like something it isn't. It's actually a lot of the guys that were like working at Adult Swim back in the day, right? Their project is just full of masterful artists, again, very storytelling focused. And the leader of Adult Fantasy has kind of coordinated his own group of high quality, extremely skilled artists, kind of all put us together in a similar type collective, just continue to support each other and drive innovation in the space. Awesome. A lot of cool yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's really cool, man. You know, we're just really excited when we get a chance to talk with folks like yourselves that have been innovators in Web 2 and are bringing that sort of energy and business acumen to Web 3 and trying to really push the envelope here and just pumped to see what happens next. And we'll be following your journey and maybe get a chance to hang out in New York, which will by the time this show airs, already be in the past, another NFT sort of Web3 hyper vortex moment. With that said, you've had a chance to sort of take stock of what's going on in this world of Web3 beyond your project. And I'm sure there's been some inspiration along the way. We'd love to ask the question, what else has been inspiring your work? Any projects or folks in the industry that you're really drawn to? I would say that Polygon has been really inspirational to us just in how they've taken their approach. I love the leadership on the carbon neutral, the ambitions of becoming carbon negative by next year. I love to see that. I love to see how they've been supporting founders. That's inspirational to me for sure. I have a deep admiration for Kevin. I know I've mentioned him 
a couple of times on this call. And, you know, obviously what he did with, with Twitch was world changing at the time. And to see a guy like that bringing his talents into Web3 gaming, I think is just a reflective of exactly how much change this new technology has to bring to the world for good. And seeing leaders like him decide to spend his time and talent and treasure building in these areas, it's inspirational to me. He doesn't need to go build another project. He did quite well on his last one, but he's got that burning passion. And he knows that what Web3 technologies enable are going to really advance society in great ways in the next decade plus. And watching folks like that put in, again, their time, treasure, and talent to it is just ultimately, it calls me to the carpet every day. It makes me want to be better and better at what I do. Hey there, NFT space cadet. Let's zoom in on the globe from outer space today to Abbott Kinney Boulevard in Venice Beach, LA. Let me show you a cosmic tech beacon that shines out among the bustle of fashion, art, and food there. It's a thriving software dev, data science, and design studio known as AE Studio, where scores of the sharpest minds have come together to help founders and execs create software and machine learning solutions that are not only profitable and increase our agency as humans, but that give us that warm, fuzzy feeling that elegant tech so wonderfully does. AE's breadth of talent allows them to build anything from instillvideo.com it's a health, fitness, and wellness app that makes your chakras tingle to award-winning brain-computer interface solutions that could quite literally bend our minds. Oh, and keep an eye out for Token Runners, their NFT white-label marketplace, as well as our highly anticipated NFT drop, Boomer NFT. Now, for all you DGENs who strive to shed the cummerbund and pearls comes a jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring partnership not seen since the heyday of Shaq and Kobe, it's called Edge of AE Studio, and you can find out all about it at edgeofae.com. That's right, this full-service, soup-to-nuts, end-to-end, whole-enchilada NFT service can help you, yes, you, Randy, launch your NFT project. Edge of NFT and AE Studio have come together like Voltron to get your project in gear so you can hightail it straight to the moon, stardom, and maybe even your own private yacht. Go to edgeofae.com to find out more. That's edgeofae.com. Actual results may vary depending on moon landing location, domain of stardom, scale and model of yacht, as well as weather scale model of yacht or actual yacht. Josh, anything else before we head over to Edge Quick Hitters? Yeah. Right. And- I've been looking forward to this. And also you're streaming in from New Orleans. Again, we talked about that before the podcast. That's one of my favorite places in the States. So you got a lot of cool people coming out of there. I'm sure you got some fun answers to these questions. So Edge Quick Hitters are a fun and quick way to get to know you a little bit better. There are 10 questions and we're looking for just a short few or single word responses, but you can feel free to expand if you get the urge. You ready? I think I am. Let's hit it. So what is the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? Well, I don't know if it was the first thing I ever purchased, but it was certainly the first thing I remember. It was the Kiss album. You remember the band Kiss? Oh, yeah. I forget the name of the album, but it was the last one they ever did with makeup on, where Keith Freely was still the guitar player. And my mother did not like Kiss, did not want it in the house, and I had to sneak out to a record store and buy it on cassette tape. Nice. I love it. And that reminds me of something I wanted to interject, and it's appropriate now. Dungeons and Dragons as a kid, you were talking about getting into it. I remember I had a friend who invited me over to play Dungeons and Dragons and my mom told me I couldn't because <laughs> she thought it was some sort of cult building thing where I turned into like yeah, a devil worship. The Titanic was real. 
Absolutely. Totally. All right. What's the first thing you ever remember selling in your life? You know, honestly, I think I probably sold something before this, but the first thing I really remember because it was so amazing to me was when I, the first licensing deal I did for my company, Audio Socket, was actually for a video game company. The guy became my mentor and it was a five figure deal. And I was like, wow, I just closed a five figure deal with my company. And at that point, I don't think we had even raised capital yet. It was one of the things that helped us raise capital is we proved we had customers that wanted to buy a product from a company that barely existed. That was memorable. Well done. Cool. Thanks for sharing. Josh, you want to take the next one? Go for it, Ethan. Okay. Next question is, what is the most recent thing that you purchased? I guess a home remodel, because right now I'm not in my own house because my real house is getting deconstructed and torn apart for a remodel. And yeah, that just started yesterday. So that's a big purchase. Exciting times. All right. And then what is the most recent thing that you sold? This is relational. So we had to get a bunch of stuff out of our house that we didn't need anymore. Washers, dryers, appliances. And I was just like, whatever, give them away. But my wife is a true, she is the D-gen of Craigslist, y'all. All right. She's like, no, I got somebody who wants to come pick up the, the dryer. And she sent me out last night at nine o'clock to go back to my other house to sell a dryer to some dude for 25 bucks. I would have just let I take it, but she wanted that 25 bucks. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Go yeah. get it. <laughs> yeah, we're actually selling a condo right now. And I just had to check the boxes on the closing documents of like what appliances are included. Same deal. We're going to sell some things. <laughs> All right. Next question is, what is your most prized possession? I'm behind my wife and kids. It's my drum set. I've been playing drums since I was four years old and I've, had, I've gone through a lot of kits, but I mean, my drums are critical to my happiness. Love it. Musician at heart myself. All right, we're going to kick it over to Josh to take the last five of these. All right, here we go, Brent. If you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical, service, or experience that's currently for sale, what would it be? This very second, I would love to go spend a week on Necker Island. So Richard Branson, if you're listening, I'll be happy to take a free week stay anytime. It looks beautiful over there. Yeah, so I've been learning more and more about people that are going to Necker Island because they always, if you go to Necker Island, you always like to tell people before you go, while you're there, and after you go. And I think the trick, though, is to finding the right experience where you can go there and he'll actually come by and hang out with you. Because a lot of people go over there, expect to see Branson, he's just doing his thing. So we'll talk strategy there. I, I think I've got some insights for you that could help. I love it. Let's do it. All right. If you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would it be? Oh, just have an unending urge to create something that matters. I love it. I love that. Yeah, that's cool. We've never heard that one. If you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would that be? I guess also relational. Be more patient with the time it takes to watch your creations manifest. Mm -hmm. I dig it. What did you just do before joining us on this podcast? Oh, I was in the Discord talking with my team about like 20 different things at once. Yeah, that's the Discord lifestyle for sure. That's our and that's our WhatsApp right now, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, I haven't looked today more than once. And I think there's like 30 or 40 unread <laughs> messages in 10 yeah. different chats. Terrifies me. <laughs> We're moving to Slack soon and later, probably. 
What are you going to do next after the podcast? I am going to bring my son to karate in class. He's 10 years old and he's a third degree black belt. And yeah, he's got class on Thursday. Uh-oh. About- yeah, be careful trying to reprimand that child. <laughs> I well, concern myself with this when he gets older. Yes. Thankfully, he's the most loving, soft-hearted person ever. We'll see if he stays that way as a teenager. Well, some of those soft-hearted karate guys also end up doing MMA fighting. So. <laughs> I pray he doesn't do that. <laughs> well, this was fun. That kind of brings us to the conclusion of our Edge Quick Hitters. And fortunately, we have some time to dive into some of the hot topics Indeed. in this space. Ethan, why don't I turn it over to you to kick us off? Yeah, let's hit it. I hear a little bit of an echo here, and I'll explain. But Stripe for NFTs, NFT port raises $26 million Series A. And the echo that I hear is when we first started the podcast, there was a little bit of rumbles of different companies, you know, raising certain amounts and they started small and got bigger and bigger and bigger. But that's interesting to see. It's still happening, even though the markets are kind of twisting and turning. We've seen a lot of people still excited about building. So NFT infrastructure startup NFT port has raised 26 million in Series A funding co-led by Tavit and Stein and Atomico a European venture capital firm with $4 billion in assets under management. Funding will help scale the core product, which helps developers quickly launch NFT applications. So it's exciting. A lot of stuff going on. I think there's a few people who you know kind of want to be that sort of Shopify for, for NFTs though. Yeah. A couple of things that jump out to me. One, the markets are shucking and jiving and not looking very pretty. But at the same time as that, you have this sort of rather large announcement about infrastructure building, which sort of is a bigger signal that we've experienced on the ground in Davos and then Austin at Decentral and Consensus, that the builders just keep on building. And and second, these guys have some, some legitimate backers and use cases, right? The creator of Protocol Labs... Polygon co-founder, Polkadot co-founder, among others, are backing this. And they've also done some work with Nifty Gateway. They've worked with Gemini. So I wouldn't count these guys out. And I'm interested in seeing what they do here. Kudos to them. Taking on something big like this does require capital. I don't see this as like an outrageous raise for an infrastructure play. What are your thoughts, Brent? Yeah, I agree. I mean, it sounds like I don't know what their capital costs are, but that's a decent war chest to keep building. And you made your comment earlier that you know, the build, no matter what, the builders keep building. This is the best time to do it. Bear markets are where innovation, lasting innovation is created and the next multi-billion dollar companies come from. And I love building in a bear market because the upside is so much greater. It's difficult. But it sounds like those guys are well positioned to execute and be successful. Love the team. That's amazing. Yeah. Exciting stuff. Agree. There's that sort of exuberance that happens when the market's rolling fast, but there's a certain passion and excitement that comes from the folks that are involved sort of at the at the other end of the spectrum. So next one here is uh, Bill Gates. I think I've heard of him. I'm not sure what his thing is, but Lambast's NFTs. <laughs> okay, Bill. Sure. It's, but let's read a little bit into this. So Microsoft co-founder Bill Gates recently opined that NFTs are a greater fool theory type of investment. Gates sarcastically remarked that people who spend a fortune on pictures of apes would be able to make the world a much better place. So, I mean, 
Listen, I think quite a few of us, even that are passionate about NFTs, will agree with a bit of a sentiment from Bill Gates, like around the fact that, you know, some of these digital arts and some of these things are fads and whatever. But we just talked about an infrastructure play, right? And the digital economy is something that a lot of people are not only excited about, but transacting in on a daily basis, right? Whether or not they're buying these NFT images and collections. So it's kind of fun to play in this playground where Bill's kind of feeling a little bit behind. It feels like him shorting, what he short Elon Musk's car company at the beginning. That's like yeah. the rumor, right? <laughs> well, let's, so let's just break down what is the greater fool theory, right? The greater fool theory suggests buying an overpriced asset can still turn a profit because someone will be willing to buy even more for it later on. Look, there's some really overpriced NFTs and you shouldn't buy them. That doesn't mean the whole industry is a representation of that theory. I was just having a conversation with our friend, Neil Strauss, who, who spoke at NFTLA. And we sort of acknowledged that you got to remember to sell. You got to remember to take profit. If there's anything that crash reminds us is that things go up, they go down in life. And, you know, we're dealing with intrinsic value, which is a little bit more, I'd say, flexible than something like socks, right? Generally, when you buy socks, you expect them to go down in value slowly to the point that you throw them away. You're not going to sell your socks to somebody else for more, <laughs> for more value. But there's certainly there's exceptions. If you got some Supreme socks or some limited edition Jordan socks, like someone may, you know, value them more in the later later on. And so I think there's certainly nuance to how this theory is applied. But I would absolutely agree with Bill that there's plenty of projects that are overpriced. And if you don't get in early, don't get too much FOMO. Re revalidate your thoughts and and wait a couple of days to decide whether or not it's the right project for you. Do your research, just like Gary Vee has talked about before. He's made big investments in projects. And yes, it absolutely makes sense to buy earlier than to buy later before things go up too much. And, you know, we've seen a lot of projects go up and down like friends with benefits. So, so here's something. Are, go ahead. No, I'm very passionate on this topic, Ethan, because. I feel like it's so easy to generalize our industry when there's so much nuance to these decisions. Right. So here's something that I think is fun to add to the conversation here. I kind of Googled Bill Gates Country Club, right? So I don't know. This is this comes from Fox Business. So I'm giving it like a 25% credibility. But here's a quote from an article. It says, an insider said the 65-year-old is from a few years ago. Billionaire Microsoft founder has been holed up at the Vintage Club in Indian Wells, which bills itself as one of the United States' most prestigious and ultra-exclusive private country club communities, right? And so I think that there's something also really interesting here if Bill isn't recognizing that I'm sure he's a member of at least a small handful of exclusive clubs and organizations. And there's a lot of that going on in the NFT space. And you get a token to prove that you're part of it that you can potentially resell. I don't even know if they use that model with country clubs, right? When are you can you get out of the country club one year when you're done and actually sell your pass to another individual that wants to enter the community? So I don't know. That's an interesting. I want that fancy. I got to let you sell your membership because they want to want to censor who can be in there, right? The other thing that is no disrespect to Web two. It's extremely important technology, but Microsoft owns Minecraft, right? And 
the take rates on these platforms. People have been buying digital skins for Minecraft and Fortnite and every other platform in the world. And all that revenue goes to the company itself. Very little goes to the creator. And certainly you as the buyer of those skins can't resell them, receive any value. So it's ultimately probably a threat to him at least in some lines of his business, if not every line of his business. And I'll, I'll recognize before we move on to the next article, perhaps this quote was taken out of context. I mean, either way, right? He's not coming out being super excited about NFTs, but he is just making a comment about kind of the art side of it here, what, what came from this article. So, it's not all wrong. Know. There's nuance, right? All right, let's hit this last one real quick. Board Ethereum NFTs dropped below 100K for the first time in almost a year. The board apes have been a key symbol of rising valuations with celebrities snapping up uh, disinterested ape illustrations along seven figure sales. But now the Ethereum profile picture collection is showing just how far NFT demand has fallen amid a wider crypto market crash. The floor price for the BAYC, the cheapest available item is what the floor price means on the secondary marketplace currently sits at $96,000 approximately or 80 ETH according to NFT price floor. Now, I actually noticed that the other day. I was looking, mm, maybe it's a good time to pick up a board ape. <laughs> but I'll say just ha- that I have a little bit more of a closer look. There's not a lot of board apes so, so, uh, on sale for 80 ETH. There's like one, right? And there's a bunch of them that are not for sale, just open for bidding. So yeah, interesting. You have your eyes set on a board ape, Brent, or do you got one in your pocket? I don't actually. I don't. I admire what they've built, but uh, yeah, I don't own one, and I'm not in the market even at ninety-eight thousand dollars. I'm gonna, I'm gonna invest in earlier stuff and uh, my own as well. We'll pull up this quote a couple of years from now when they hit a million a, sh- a shot or whatever. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll <laughs> bang my head against the wall. <laughs> Josh, any comments on this one? Should we walk it out? No real comments at this time. You know. All right. Sounds good. Well, that's been a show for the most part, but before. We jump here. We want to make sure we find out where listeners can go to learn more about you, Brent, and the projects you're working on. So give us the deets there so people can stay in in the loop. Yeah, I think the easiest way to find out all the information and kind of get immersed in the visual fantasy and the artwork that we're building at this game is just to go visit theglimmering.com. And from there, that's got all the other rabbit hole social link buttons for you. You can Check out the various Twitters, the different Medium blog posts, the white paper, of course. And most importantly, come hang out in the Discord. It's all linked to glimmering.com. Very cool. And I believe we've got a giveaway in the work with you. Share the skeleton of that. I think it's where it's already out on our socials. Yeah, guys? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Ethan. So we're giving away 20 spots on the Glimmering's pre-sale list, which comes with a lot of benefits. In addition to those 20 spots those people receive an airdrop of the glimmering poster art nft which we've shared on social and there's only 500 in circulation so super cool giveaway brent really appreciate that happy to do it and of the 500 poster nft giveaways 100 lucky people of those 500 will get a physical print that is numbered and signed by our lead artist angry blue so uh, appreciate you having us on the show deeply admire what you all are doing what you all have built and yeah happy to extend the, the warm welcome to your community as well excellent thanks so much all right well let's wrap it up We've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. So everyone, thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventurers on this starship, though. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey also much better. How? Go to Spotify or iTunes right now, rate us and say something awesome. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. 
edgeofnft.com slash discord to get involved with our community. Last, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today. The views and opinions expressed on the Edge of NFT podcast reflect solely those views and opinions of the show creators and its guests. We're learning as we go, just like you. Please make sure to do your own research. Our podcast is not financial advice. There are multiple strategies and not all strategies fit all people. We understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk.